0: That water. Dick Poop. The incident that happened at the Two Pines Wedding Chapel that put this whole gory story into motion has since become legend. People to get to this point, and I am gonna kill Bill. Hello, and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast named Buck who likes to truck the bookie- pussy wagon. Get it? He, he you know, it, why did Buck have to be a creep when he had such a nice vehicle? He could just say it, he it likes
1: ruins to truck. a perfectly good catchphrase. That that we now can't say that catchphrase without being totally creeped out.
0: Anyway, continue. I'm Buck. I like to truck every week on this had Oscar buzz. We talk about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations. But for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. We are back with uh a twofer as it were but we're gonna count yeah. this as two episodes unlike quentin tarantino counting his movie as one movie i am your host chris file i'm here as always with my five point exploding heart technique master joe reed Pa ba, ba 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 wait that was four Ooh. no that's five Pa ba, ba 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 yeah that's five okay <laughs> i got gotcha. you joe's doing the five point exploding heart technique and being like wait did i get all of them did i get the fifth wait,
1: one That would have been me, neurotic-ass me, being like, did I do four or five? Like, I can't remember. And then that's how Bill gets away. I only give him four.
0: Well, that's how Bill kills you back, but then he walks away and dies.
1: Honestly, Beatrix Kiddo gets a a lot of mileage out of this little uh, hand motion here. I'm doing the little, like, goose... Uh,
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Goose
1: Bill hand motion, because that's also how she gets Elle's eye out. She just goes, Uh boing! And then...
0: She definitely does it in volume one at some point.
1: I definitely spent a lot more time this time around watching that scene with her and Elle in the trailer, thinking about the physics of how she got Elle's eye out like that. (laughs) And I was like, I imagine it's just a lot of confidence. Where if it's like, if you have confidence in your ability to make your hand into a tiny little point that can fit into an eye socket. And if you have confidence in your aim to do it quickly, then you just go full force. Because it's like, you can't pussyfoot your way around it. If you're going to go for that eye, you got to go, got to get in there, snatch and pull it.
0: It is of a different scale and at a different speed of like the claw machine. You just got to know what you're doing. You know, you got to know exactly where you're grabbing that teddy bear and pulling it Right,
1: right, right. But that's a lesson for all you kids out there. Eyeball, po- eye- eyeball plucking is all about confidence, aim, and speed, yeah. is what I say. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Continue.
0: Uh, Listeners, we're here, back, talking about Kill Bill, Volume 2. Uh, Last week, we celebrated the 20th anniversary of Volume 1. Had a good time, and we are back. Back with... <laughs> 19th anniversary, baby! (laughs) Uh, Listen, two podcast episodes, we're counting them as two separate movies for our purposes. Yeah. 20th anniversary, what is time, what are numbers of movies? Tarantino says this is, is one movie.
1: I think Tarantino is right to consider it for his purposes to be one movie. I would feel like it would feel like a little... It would like... It would be like counting Death Proof and Grindhouse as two separate movies a little bit, right?
0: Sure, because the Grindhouse version of Death Proof is much shorter. I don't know if I've ever actually seen the non-Grindhouse Death Proof, to be honest. Oh, I've only
1: ever seen them separately. I've never seen them back-to-back.
0: Oh, you didn't do the Grindhouse experience? I didn't. Yeah, they really overestimated uh, how many people that would appeal to, because uh, my father and I saw it in basically an empty theater. Wow, Um, okay, yeah. It was fun, you know, it was fun, it was kind of exhausting.
1: Um, I think for our purposes, though, it's right to consider Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 separate movies, as did the release calendar and the you know the oscars and all that sort of stuff like from an end user perspective it's definitely two movies i like tarantino should consider them one movie but like for the rest of us
0: have you ever watched them as one movie i know that it is no the
1: whole the whole what is it the whole bloody affair affair. Yeah. yeah 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 no i never have
0: I feel like I mean at some point Is during, it just playing them both back to back or is there some kind of intercutting that's done? It has to just be, right? Because Volume 1 and Volume 2 are so different. And rewatching Volume 2 this time, I was I'd forgotten how different of movies these are to the point that I was like, "Well, they had to have known relatively early in production that they wanted to split these into two because while yes, both share elements and tones of this. This movie is so clearly stylized as a western. To There's me.
1: real intention in terms of the difference between the two of them, and whether yeah, the the original vision of Kill Bill was like the first half is going to be very you know Japanese influenced, and the second half is going to be very Western influenced. I think. Certainly, things were
0: leaned into once the idea came around to split it. Sure. And like Tarantino is someone who shoots a lot. So it's like he could have molded them further in the editing room. But I also just feel like it's not just, you know, things like setting, it's also just like the structure of it. The conceit Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. the bride or Beatrix Kiddo doesn't actually kill Bud and Elle or it's, you know, left up to interpretation. That I feels I mean so I'm gonna bring up the idea like a western, you know.
1: I think that's right, and like I'll bring it up later, but I have thoughts and, and opinions about Elle. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think in terms of I think it's structure. I think it's the 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 filming style, like the actual vision. It's just like these are decisions that have to be made very early, and like Tarantino has always been a director who has thrown a lot of different influences, and like this movie, these movies are the apex of his sort of everything that's ever inspired him, everything that's ever influenced him because it's not like volume 1 was just samurai movies, right? It right. was it was anime, it was black exploitation, it was, you know, a bunch of different things, you know, spaghetti western that kind of thing. And um the second half is obviously a lot more heavily into that sort of Western milieu, but there's also like the whole Pai Mei section, which is just—it's a kung fu movie, right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so it's a kung
0: fu movie, but the relationship between Pai Mei and Beatrice feels so much more like. Like a Western of like he's the John Wayne character and she's the young protege, sure, 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 just the dynamic
1: yeah. right, right, but i but I think the point you're getting at is remains a strong one, which is at some point, the decision was made to split these into two, and whether however much you know retroactive work that Tarantino needed to do. It there was some point during this production where it became very intentional yeah. to to make these movies feel as distinct as possible, and
0: and rewatching however he did Volume he did Two it. would lead me to believe that that decision was made earlier in the process than maybe we conventionally accept as sure, true. sure, um, or at
1: least was floated as a possibility to a point where Tarantino is like. I need to build some fail-safes in, you know what I mean? Sure, So,
0: Or he just made that much movie. um, Right, right. That, you know, we still have stuff we haven't seen, maybe. Yeah, Um, yeah. Okay, here's what I want to say about Volume 2. Obviously, we immediately launched into the stylistic ways that they are different, but, like... Being that they're a part one and part two, they draw a lot of immediate comparisons to each other. And my memory of volume two was that it was the shorter movie. I remembered being one of those people that at least for Definitely. a time said that volume two was better. Volume two got better reviews, too. And I think... It, much better reviews. There's yeah. an error of not... Uh, the movie's doing, but I think the way that it was received, that volume two was more respectable. And I wonder if that subconsciously is because it is the less violent of the movie, two movies. Not that I don't even this think is still it's still a that movie subconscious. where someone gets their eye plucked out, you know.
1: But it's not, I think the violence in volume one wasn't just excessively violent, it was, it's I genuinely think it was nonstop. It was the spray it was the spray of blood that like right. almost disqualified it, right, from off of the bat from a lot of people's critical respect and also like Oscar attention. It's just it was it was exuberantly violent to the point of like gigglingly violent. You know what I
0: mean? Well, I I would I would actually say more than that. I think the volume the violence in volume one really runs a whole spectrum from violence that you are outright supposed to laugh at that is super silly towards, you know, very visceral, physical, towards obviously faked stuff, towards you know, extreme violence that's very emotionally punishing as well. There's a full spectrum of how we're supposed to interpret every single violent act in that movie that is maybe just more than a lot of viewers were able to process yeah. whereas volume 2 kind of stays in a lane um
1: there's a way for people it's a lot easier for some people to look at vo- the violence in volume 1 and be like to not to not to use a you know parlance of our of our youth these days but uh to say that volume 1 is an unserious movie right <laughs> and volume 2 is a serious movie right the, vo- the violence right. has gravity to it the even the the you know when she steps on her eyeball which is the campiest mo- <laughs> moment of violence in the second part there's it's still you know it still feels grounded in something that is more the speed of violence that that people were used to you and know it's a I mean, narrower
0: la- narrower lane of influences that Tino yeah. is drawing yes. on, that I think it's...
1: And more familiar influences to a lot of critics, I would The imagine.
0: audience doesn't have to work as hard to get on its right. level, I think. It's, it's interesting that you mention
1: your sort of journey around like, which one you liked better. I think I initially, as a early 20-something person who wasn't as secure in my own critical uh, uh, opinions i kind of went with the, the flow of being like oh well volume two is really where it becomes the masterpiece and volume one was raggedy <laughs> but volume two i was like i really respected it and then i went the other way after a while and was like oh Volume 1 is so clearly the better one. It's the more fun one. It's the one with the most memorable moments. Like it look at the scoreboard. History has delivered its verdict. Volume 1 is the has all the parts that people remember. Volume 2 in my mind became a lot slower, a lot more ponderous, a lot less a lot less of a movie. A lot less thematically
0: interesting, I would say, because I was so struck by the various different access points in this rewatch of Volume 1 that Tarantino got at the themes that he's working with, and I think Volume 2 is much more of a straightforward genre exercise, but part of that is just by the structure of the story. Initially, it's already just the denouement of one story as it was initially intended, but also it's just like this movie is supposed to be so much about payoff in a certain. Well, it's way, even more straightforward. It its own ideas.
1: It's it's even more straightforward in just the order of the list. Where it's like yes, you get the big giant flashback to Pi Mei, but it's still like. Bud, then L, then Bill. Whereas, like the first one, even just like you get Vernita before you get Oren, like that's Mm -hmm. not how it. But, but I was uh, to to sort of complete my thought though. um, Watching Volume Two this time around, Volume One is still the my I think my favorite. Volume One, I think, is yeah if I have to declare which one's the better one. But I came away with, like, my my respect for Volume 2 really got rehabbed through this viewing of it. It is really, really solidly done and plays with a lot of the mythology that Volume 1 builds up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, Bud getting the jump on, on... Beatrix in a way that nobody else ever had the the way that the confrontation with Bill ends up being such like minor key stuff, but in a way that feels very, very interesting. um I think I like that the structure once it calms down it uh, uh, is is so solid. I think there are moments where you could see it's more it's I guess in volume one, you could be like, well, if this were just one movie they'd cut the anime part out. But the anime part is something I would have hated to cut out. Whereas, like, you look at this one, and you're like, all right, they want to cut out the whole Michael Parks thing, and, like, we wouldn't have missed it. You know what I mean?
0: The, this, I think Volume 2 has a lot of extraneous stuff that yeah. doesn't really add anything. I know but that there's the strip some people club that are going to and... think I'm saying blasphemy. I don't need that much with Bud, though, if you cut the whole thing at the strip club, it's like...
1: It's richer for having it. What does Blood
0: have in this story? But it's also just like, I'm not sure that that... I'm not sure the second Michael Parks character... Yeah. I just don't know if that adds much to it. And especially for this to be the longer sequel. Yeah. And I think it kind of dulls the overall effect of the movie, because there are those little... Yeah. surprise moments like when uh l gets to be the first character that we hear say the bride's actual name on screen and then you yeah. cut to the classroom for no reason other for than no, just having no for a little absolutely
1: joke. no reason it's so like, gratuitous
0: those things feel further apart and like kind of drag the movie down just a little bit to me um, i agree because agree with of you. the extraneous stuff that I don't really think is adding any texture to the movie,
1: but the stuff that works in Volume Two, yeah, really hits. Like it's so good. It's such a good movie. Daryl Hannah and is
0: so great. David Carradine is we'll so talk great. About David Daryl Carradine, Hannah. who like it, the uh, Bill gets built up throughout these movies so much, yeah. like to the point where it's like he's basically a disembodied voice throughout the you first You forget one.
1: how little he's in volume 1 because he's such yeah. a major presence in volume 2.
0: And, well, and then like when he finally gets to show up, you know, and it gets to the point because, you know, there's the surprise that the daughter is still alive, etc. and you get to what is going to be their showdown. And he just has reams and reams of dialogue at these yeah. like ongoing monologue that it's like, it feels like it's Tarantino's biggest monologue he's ever done, thrown at David Carradine, and David Carradine kills it.
1: Well, um, that's the thing is, you you for all that Tarantino has built himself into this reputation of this master of action, you know, uh, pastiche cinema or whatever... He gained his reputation as a guy who wrote great conversations. You know what I mean? For yeah. as bloody as Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction were. The whole the the hook of those movies was, yeah, but like it's that Royale with cheese scene, right? It's yeah. the it's the the waitress scene in in Reservoir Dogs. And so you look at this and you're like, right, Carradine isn't like kung fuing his way through this movie it's the conversation with the bride outside of the chapel it's the conversation right before they have their little fight um and it's a very little fight they don't get out of their chairs um but he's so great in those dialogue scenes and you're right it's a lot of dialogue it's a lot placed on his shoulders and he's so great at delivering it yeah yeah
0: Let's put I'm excited a, to get into it. Let's put a pin in it and uh yes. get down to some business. Business, Joe. Yes, Fulcher Movie Fantasy League. Yes, is upon us. we're underway. We're, we're underway. We're earning
1: points. Um, uh we sent out this will. This episode will come out just as you're getting, or no, new new newsletter comes out on Tuesday because there is a holiday on Monday. Um, but, uh. We'll be reacting to the second weekend of points earning. Right now, the only points that are earning are box office points, although we did add the Gotham awards to this year, and the Gotham Awards nominations come out on october twenty fourth of all obscene things. So um we'll be getting awards I've points sooner seen. than sooner than you than you think. But right now it's just um box office points, the very first weekend of box office-eligible movies was last weekend. So if you drafted Paw Patrol the Mighty Movie, you did take top spot at the box <laughs> office. Um, this season, we sort of streamlined the the points, the the box office-to-points structure. So essentially, every time a movie earns a million dollars, you get another point. So right now, the Paw Patrol movie got 23 points for $23 million opening weekend, They won the weekend, so that's another 20 points, so 43 points total for Paw Patrol. Uh, Saw X and The Creator were the other two movies that were able to earn box office points. There were five people, I should say, in the entire pool who had those three movies on their roster. So those five uh, teams... um, all got the full compliment of 75 points. I don't love their chances in the long run with those three
0: movies. Enjoy your moment, all five yeah. of you. This is yes. your moment. It, but I, I, uh, much respect to you. It will never come again.
1: Here's the thing, though. I didn't spend a single week in the in the game last season at number one on the leaderboard at any moment. And maybe if I know that, like, being picking a winning slate is probably going to be too hard. Picking a slate that will go number 1 the first weekend. I can do that. <laughs> I can pick the three movies that are going to open on opening weekend. And so, uh credit to these five teams. They've got their moment in the sun. They're they're, you know, they're they've got name recognition out there. Maybe they can parlay this into a into a social media sponsorship or something. Let's let's let's
0: reach for the stars here. Um get in while the iron is hot getting and now I will say, as this episode is dropping uh people will be collecting box office points on the exorcist also your moment is about to go away well, chris
1: i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you five minutes no five minutes no i long. don't
0: I'm, even need five minutes what a while your little happy dance
1: over the exorcist believer being as bad as you thought it was going to be
0: i do feel vindicated the hater yeah. is logging in I David was going to say, Green have your hater must moment. Must be kept have your away moment. from all horror franchises. For... Do
1: you think though that if David Gordon Green were to make like a Friday the Thirteenth, which like I don't think you can devalue the Friday the Thirteenth franchise?
0: Do you really want to see a Friday yes. the Thirteenth that yes. like weekly Friday the reaches the for Achiever. like prescient themes and tries to be about our times, but then also like. Yes, that's what I want. Accidentally reveals its red state impulses at every single turn. Okay, and okay,
1: like, okay. Are you? I've seen this thing bandied about. I have yet to see Exorcist Believer. Don't. Um, I'm waiting for Exorcist Believer, where uh, where Justin will join this
0: the, the the. And I am waiting for Exorcist Beaver, where Jodie Foster does her version. <laughs> um,
1: I've seen the term. Anti abortion, it is an anti abortion
0: movie. I I don't think it means to be, but the logic that it presents, it is. And
1: I don't think it means to be feels like a very crucial distinction, though, because because David
0: Gordon Green does not know what he is doing. Okay. Just like they were like, yeah, Laurie Strode's story is a Me Too story, and it's like, you guys are stupid. (laughs) You created a survivalist, uh, isolationist, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't know what it's doing, but also there's a lot of other... I thought Exorcist Believer was pretty racist. Um, Oh boy. I did not expect that to come. Yeah, um... And it's also just a very, very incoherent movie. Like, you can tell that they like Frankenstein some reshoots in there. It's, it doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't especially make any thematic sense. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it sucks.
1: (laughs) All right. You've had your moment. You've had your, uh, victory lap around, uh, the Exorcist Believer. Um, I will say going back to last weekend though. And I haven't seen I haven't seen any of these movies. I've had a I've had a cold that's kept me incapacitated for a week. Um not covid say say the tests and I'm forced to believe them. Uh, Exorcist believer this week was me with uh, my <laughs> we head need to uh, exercise my head on backwards and forced to believe the fact that it's not covid like okay.
0: Um uh, Your first movie little... back to the theaters post-cold is going to be Taylor Swift, The <laughs>
1: Um I had heard good things about The Creator, and so I was a little bit bummed to see it finish a distant third behind Paw Patrol
0: and Saw X. Um, have you seen The Creator? No. Being that it is a movie about robots and pew-pew-bang-bang, bang, my husband's like, ooh, maybe we should go see that movie. I was like, "I, I, sure, let's go.
1: See it. But, I want to yeah. hear what you think about. It. Also, like Gareth Edwards deserves something sure, good. Sure, sure, sure. I do love Gareth Edwards
0: Godzilla. Um
1: um and I love Rogue One and I think that Rogue One got taken away from him and I'm sad about that. Um but anyway, that uh, there's a little bit of pessimism there where it's like, oh, like and you know, original original non uh sequel non adaptation stuff, like, finishing Distant Third. And I get it. Like, the kids all want to see Paw Patrol. You're not going to take the family to go see <laughs> the creator. Um, and Saw acts, like, the Saw movies always make money. So, like, maybe this isn't a reason for pessimism or whatever, but, um, I don't know. The search for uh, originality at the if the movies continues.
0: Um but anyway. as far as those box office points are concerned, yes. Uh, in a quote, are you ready for it? She's coming. Wait. Are you talking about Taylor? Taylor. Did Taylor manage to does is
1: is are you ready for it a Taylor Swift phrase now instead of just like.
0: It's a Taylor Swift song. The punctuation of the chorus is I like. Okay, here's the
1: thing. I don't not like Taylor Swift. I like a lot of Taylor Swift songs. The Taylor Swift phenomenon sometimes where I'm like. Have we just seeded very normal things, like the phrase, are you ready for it, like, to Taylor Swift? Mm -hmm. Have we seeded the concept of friendship bracelets to Taylor Swift, who was, like, not born when friendship bracelets were invented? Like, I don't... Has we... Have we... Is the concept of having a boyfriend now just, like, that's so Taylor-coded? Like, it's so... I don't know. I don't know.
0: I'm. I am do not know. Let the kids have their fun. I'm. It's
1: not the kids. Taylor Swift is not somebody who's who's like.
0: But the kids are the reason why like AMC websites crash.
1: I disagree. I think it's adults behaving like kids. But I think it's adults. I think it's adults going to see Taylor Swift. I don't this know. You Gems-y watch the video thing. of
0: those crowds, and it's like uh, women ages twelve taking to their 25.
1: daughters to
0: see like, the person. No, no, that they that's like. not the people that are hoarding these stadiums. That's not. If you show up to an AMC, you're not gonna have a bunch of like uh, okay. Debbie May from down the street. Like it's 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 gonna be uh, women aging from twelve to twenty five. That's what you're gonna have.
1: And now. uh kansas city
0: chiefs fans Um, and uh me i'm just i'm not gonna go when it's gonna be insane
1: what is your taylor swift viewing plan i need to i need to know your.
0: i don't have a plan i don't have you you know life stuff that's going on too so like plans that's the easiest thing for me right um uh you know setting a firm plan um but yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go i'm just not gonna go on a friday night when it's gonna be a madhouse yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. However, All right, anyway, nonce, I will be going the second that I can. Uh
1: we, we do expect the Taylor Swift concert movie to earn uh uh boku uh dollars at the box office. So um with a decent that'll be buy
0: the- because it was only a five dollar buy. It
1: was only five dollars. It probably should it have been valued more. I don't know. I think I, I think the idea was how much value is a movie that is only box office? Like there is it won't earn a point after Box Office. It'll earn Rotten Tomatoes points. But anyway, um we'll see. So anyway, Vulture Fantasy Movie League, as always, you can check out the updates at vulture.com slash movies dash league uh where you can see the leaderboard and get r- brushed up on the rules and you can sign up for the newsletter where I will be writing updates on the league all all season up through the Oscars which uh do seem to be still set for March now that the writer strike is over although the actor strike continues so who the hell knows um
0: debates or, j- or uh discussions are negotiations are continuing into next week we We are are hopeful we are very breath and crossed fingers that everyone gets a fair deal
1: exactly uh as we said you can check out the uh the awards calendar the gotham awards nominations will be coming on october 24th uh because years are only 10 months now and uh there you have it uh chris anything else before we move on to plugging our patreon
0: uh, I made my own spreadsheet for tracking my own drafts. Dang! Let me tell you, I am not going to be on that leaderboard anytime soon because I think <laughs> I drafted maybe six movies that open in December. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, uh-huh. uh, we'll see.
1: You're hoping for those holiday dollars to, uh, to float you at the end of the year. All right, exactly. all right, let do it. All right, Chris, talk to our listeners about the Patreon and why, if they are not already signed up,
0: that they should you really gotta do it listeners if you are not signed up for our Patreon This Had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance, you gotta do it it's $5 a month Uh patreon.com slash this had Oscar Buzz, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get two bonus episodes uh a month, The f- on the first of the month you're gonna get our exception episode, these are episodes that listeners have been asking from us from the beginning of the time, everything with the makings of a This Had Oscar Buzz movie, but whoops they got a few Oscar nominations most recently, we did The Lovely Bones, which all of our patrons chose as their patrons'
1: listeners' choice. We'll have more of those in the future, too. More more. Yeah, polls we're, we're, uh,
0: we'll be planning some polls and such uh, to do that again. We've also got Exceptions episodes on uh, Pleasantville 9. We're going to be having one coming up next month with Katie Rich on Australia. That's right. Uh just in time for Boz Lerman's somehow six hour mini series from that movie, but didn't film any new footage. What the fuck happens on a Baz Lerman set? Um
1: Well, we'll find out when Hugh Jackman writes his memoir that does uh, That's what to the tell all is, is. That's that, what the tell all is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um all everything that went down on the Australia set. Yeah. Um The second Uh, bonus episode you're going to get every month. On the 15th of every month, it's going to be what we call an excursion, basically a deep dive into this had Oscar buzz adjacent subject matter, such as actress roundtables, full awards pre uh, EW uh, movie previews. We're going to do award shows. If you love these Kill Bill episodes where we're talking about the MTV Movie Awards, in a few days, we're going to be doing a full recap of the 1996 MTV Movie movie awards i'm so excited get in on that you got a few days before that episode drops five dollars a month uh what can be any better than that oh no wait (laughs) i I was gonna say we're about to record that episode so that's coming in november but in a few days we have the patron mailbag so yes also very exciting get in there we're going to be talking about uh all the different things our listeners want us to talk about yeah Uh, once again you can sign up at patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz
1: we we are super loving doing it we hope you are loving listening to it we have uh, uh, plans and ideas for the future so we are really uh, interested in growing this uh, uh, wonderful new sub uh, sub community sub community does
0: that make us a dog uh, that <laughs> implies that existence like a of community, a Dom community. community. Yeah. Of, of people of unique interests Yes, yes, yes. Coming we together. love
1: our our our, our wonderful uh, our wonderful Gary. So yes, uh, come join us on uh, this head of of turbulent brilliance. We are having a great time.
0: Killing right. William, <laughs> Volume
1: Two. Kill William the
0: Second. Um
1: <laughs> I have spent so much of the last day since rewatching the movie. Uh, repeating uh just saying it as uh is bill bill shot you in the head uh the the michael parks uh, pronunciation of bill um uh bill did a bad bad thing i feel like that's the subtitle to this movie um I guess uh, maybe there's no there's no point in in dragging this out. We'll do a plot description and then we'll jump into the movie, right?
0: All right, let's let's run this down, listeners. Let's now you should listen to this because this concerns you. Kill Bill Volume Two, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Uma Thurman, the great Uma Thurman. We'll get back into it. You will. David Carradine, Gordon Liu, Daryl Hannah, Michael Madsen, Michael Parks. <laughs> Technically, everybody else who was in the first movie—I love that they all like get credit. Like I'm the IMDb.
1: Like this is on the IMDb <laughs> for Lucy Liu and, and Vivica Fox, which is very funny. Yeah.
0: Um, and then briefly Samuel L. Jackson, maybe as his Pulp Fiction character.
1: Oh, was that the the fan theory? That's the
0: there's there's uh, there's things that he says that tie to that character. So um, after
1: he retired from the. From the Hitman life, he walked the earth like Kane, who he named checks, who was the character that David Carradine played in Kung Fu, um, and that he ended up just as a piano player. And that's how he met his end? That's so sad. Oh, God. <laughs> ah,
0: wow. I, I get into these moments where I almost quote uh Nora Ephron, non-masterpiece, but I love it, Mixed Nuts. And I realized you can't quote that movie, Christopher. No one knows what you're talking about.
1: I got it. This Christmas season, I need to watch Mixed Nuts. I need to make this the Christmas season. You really do. It's such a
0: tradition in my family that, like, Uh only we know this movie. But more people have discovered this movie, and everybody watches it, and they're like, that's a disaster. Why do you watch that movie? Did I ever tell you I interviewed.
1: I interviewed June Diane Raphael once for uh, for uh, Grace and Frankie, the first season of Grace and Frankie, and or the second season, maybe. And I asked her, I can't remember where this came up, but it was essentially like, what movies on streaming do you watch? Because it was when I was at my old job. Um, and she b- b- mentioned, of her own accord, she's like, you know what movie I love is Mixed Nuts. She's like, I'm the it only person who that loves June this Diane movie. This so movie. it's you and June, and June Diane who are the uh, the two uh, Mixed Nuts fans that I know. JD,
0: get squad. at me. We'll we'll yeah, come on weird. the show. We'll talk about Mixed Nuts. Um, um, no, the thing I almost said is like Steve Martin does this whole litany of complaints about how his life's awful, and he's like, I'm like Job. <laughs> and, um, Reed Wilson going, Philip, really? Okay, I'm not. Not like Job, <laughs> yeah anyway i only Fantastic. know biblical characters if they're quoted in nora Ephron movies
1: i love that though um i'm sure there's another one we can we can fight we can figure out but
0: yes anyway Kill anyway Bill, volume two joseph yes. you are charged with doing a 60 second plot description of this movie do you think you are ready to give one
1: I am, with the caveat that um, I've been sick all week, so both my breath control and my uh, throat quality aren't great. So if I uh, uh, run out of breath or start coughing in the middle of this thing, um, please uh, uh, have mercy. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: All right, then. Your 60-second plot description for Kill Bill Volume 2 starts now.
1: All right, first things first, her name is Beatrix Kiddo. Got that? Beatrix Kiddo, in case anybody was worried that Quentin wasn't on a lot of coke when he wrote this script. After a flashback to the Two Pines Wedding Chapel, where Black and White Bill shows up for a sweet and sad, little before I have you murdered chat with B, we're back to the list. Next up, fucking. Bud, the sidewinding, bushwhacking, shit-kicking nepo baby of the deadly vipers. Bud sucks ass, which makes it nice and ironic when he's the one who comes closest to taking the bride out, and she ends up buried out alive in the desert and has to summon all the training of her old master, Pai Mei, to bust her way out. Meanwhile, thinking he's seconds. won, Bud's taken Beatrix's Hanzo sword and is selling it to L Driver, who gets the jump on Bud with a black mamba snake. Just as L's about to leave, though, Beatrix comes in with a flying dropkick and they have a fast and brutal battle inside Bud's trailer, one that ends with Beatrix snatching out L's one remaining eye, leaving her blind and screaming and in close quarters with that black mamba, Finally, it's time for Beatrix Kiddo to, to track down Bill, but when she does, she's shaken to learn that her daughter BB is still alive. After some fucked but kinda sweet family oh, time, BB goes to bed and it's time for Bea and Bill to have it out. Bill shoots her with a dart full of truth serum, and she tells the story of finding out she was pregnant just as fucking Karen was coming to kill her, and deciding she had to get out of the assassin life. Bill admits he overreacted by arranging Bee's murder, and the final fight barely gets them out of their backyard patio chairs before Beatrix does the five point palm exploding heart trick that Mei taught her and sends Bill five steps into his death. It's all poignant and shit, and in the end, Beatrix cries. Happy, relieved, grateful tears, and then hits the road with BB to wherever the road takes her from there on the end. 20 seconds over and you didn't even mention Pime I said Mae. I said she she t- used her yeah. Pyme training to bust her way out of the, the coffin. What was I going to say? He keeps calling her, a, a, says she brays like an ass, and, <laughs> and they do their little shadow dancing
0: for a while. That was I fun. love Pai Mei so much in this movie. Gordon I Lou think rules. Pai
1: Mei feels like a very Chris File character.
0: The only thing that Volume 1 Pai is May missing is, mean. is Pai
1: Mei. Pai Mei uh, slays. Sad. Pai Mei is essentially, he fits in with your whole little, I love, um, uh, what's her face from young adult, and uh, what's the, uh, the, the, well, he's Tell not a protagonist. I
0: do love a problematic protagonist. But if Pai was protagonist. a protagonist, you'd love Pai Uh I would love to watch a Pai movie. Um, yeah, Pai I have decided is the only gay character in this movie.
1: Here's the all right. Here's the thing. I want to. It's good that you mentioned gay. Um, we are. I hope I'm not uh, uh, outing you here on a podcast. We're both gay. I'm. Is that okay?
0: I'm straight. What? What are you talking about? (laughs)
1: Fucker? Um, no. So we're we're two homos talking about uh, Kill Bill, as is our right. But a lot of, and not to get into like, you know, stereotypes and whatever, a lot of the genres that Quentin Tarantino references often and references specifically in this movie are genres that I didn't watch because they felt like Boy genre, you know what I mean, like sure. westerns, kung fu movies. I'm not saying that like no little gay boys ever ever watched those. I've but, like seen I a was lot of watching westerns. soap operas. I don't and, like a lot of. You westerns. know, like Gem and the Holograms. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't sure, watching. Sure, 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 sure. Um, uh, I fu watched a go-
0: lot of westerns as a kid. Okay. Don't like them.
1: I so. As coming from that perspective, though, so you did you you were not familiar at all with, like, the Kung Fu movies that Tarantino was referencing in this
0: section. In a broad the sense, sure, but, like, I, don't, sort of I didn't I have at. any of those individual reference points, you know, right, beyond, right. you know, the two examples that any white person would give you.
1: So I'm imagining that somebody who is very well-versed in those movies, like, this must have been, like... Just a Halloween bag full of treats for, yes. for those people. who Just like, I imagine there's like reference upon reference upon reference from everything from his beard to, um, that's also the gayest thing about Pai May is that every three seconds he's sort of like fluffs his beard and that's his like signature his signature move right after to punctuate mm-hmm. everything he just sort of fluffs his beard um it's like a fan clack
0: you know it is like a fan clack.
1: It's it's, fan clack it's it's Pyme's fan clack it's Pyme. uh instead of fan clacking and death dropping he just sort of strokes his beard <laughs> and, and goes like ha, 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 ha. he rules like he rules yeah he's great he's great we love Pyme. We love um but i just i just wanted to sort of like get get that out there on front street because it is interesting when these movies with you know uh that are like oh well that's like heavily camp and whatever it's like yeah i know i remember watching john waters movies or like you know i know i watched you know like whatever anything that that panders to our interests whereas like this is sure. a movie that panders to
0: other people's interests and I don't know. I, I mean, both of the Kill Bill movies are populated with women who slay. I mean, that's true. It it basically all can, aside from Uma Thurman, obviously. This this one basically condenses down to Daryl Hannah, but Daryl Hannah is so fun. Daryl
1: Hannah slays page. for like as as well as any three people. So
0: yeah, 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 yeah. And like Daryl Hannah slays doing a Wikipedia reading. Of a oh, snake in this movie. That's like, the
1: other thing. What's the queerest thing about L Driver? Is she likes reading Wikipedia entries
0: for fun. But like, also, that's... like, dictating an entire Wikipedia page on a notebook. We need to bring back those little flip notebooks. The little memo pads? Burned. Love them. Yeah. Love them. Love it. Uh,
1: all right. B- before, we, before we abandon the conversation, though, about who slays in this movie. Be- Beatrix Kiddo slays. L Driver slays. Yeah. Karen the Assassin? slays yeah very funny performance does bb slay no no she doesn't canonically she doesn't i mean she's a very believable child but like i don't i don't think she's bad i'm just saying you can be good you can be fine and good but you don't necessarily slay may she one day slay maybe (laughs) she's not on the path to slaying quite yet
0: I don't think she is going to be an assassin.
1: Which is good, which is what Beatrix wants. That's the whole that's the victory of Beatrix Kiddo at the end there is that like her daughter's not going to probably grow up to be an assassin.
0: Right, right.
1: Which is like if she grew up with Bill as her father, she would have definitely grown up to be an assassin. Do
0: we think that Beatrix and BB grow up in a like I don't know. I I see the potential. For like anti-vax parent. (laughs) Oh, I'm not. We're not going there. We're not going there. We're not going there. No, 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 no. Not in in the course of this movie. I rebuke what I just said.
1: In the course of this movie, Beatrix does get forcibly injected with at least two needles. So, like, maybe Beatrix is going to have an adverse reaction to. To injections. So, like, maybe Beatrix is the one person in America with a good reason to be anti vax.
0: She's like that. She's like the survivor contestants that go on to be anti vax, you know, where it's just <laughs> like, you just want to live in the dirt.
1: Well, Beatrix doesn't want to live in the dirt because she also tried that and that didn't where work out very well for
0: Beatrix her. Where do we think Beatrix
1: and BB go, though? Like, I do they see living
0: in the suburbs. I don't see them, you know.
1: She definitely doesn't feel like she's a suburb parent. No, she's going to live in. Like, she's going to live on the outskirts. She's going to be an exurbs kind of a lady, right? They're going to live... Because I don't see her as a city gal, either, right? She's going to live... They're going to be sort of isolationists, which is going to make B.B. a weird kid, admittedly. She's going to be homeschooled. Yeah. Yeah. Does the fact that Beatrix... That B. has a daughter named B.B., does that mean that definitely BB will have a child named BBB? Like, is that going to be? <laughs> is it just going to keep going on and on like that into the future, just endless?
0: I feel endless like she's bees. a Beatrix the second, though, because like Beatrix kiddo, she is the BB kiddo. Like, is it, she?
1: She could be BJ Beatrix Junior. I don't like it. I'm glad we won't ever. I don't ever want to know. I know people were excited about the idea of the the Tarantino doing the long later. Kill Bill sequel with Nikki uh, Vernita's daughter I don't think I ever want to really get that mostly because I, I don't, don't
0: want it either because I want I don't
1: want to know what happens to Pia, Beatrix I, I want,
0: to, I want to be able to have these Kill Bill movies exist because it's not just that right there where the opportunity for the mythos of these characters and the story to branch out you know it's not just oh well she's gonna grow up and kill Beatrix one day there's other opportunities for it elsewhere and I like that this is a movie that splinters in my mind and activates my imagination in that way outside of the framework of just this narrative and I think if you get a movie like I mean like look at what happened with Star Wars. Not that they're gonna go and make, you know, a Kill Bill branch off movie every year like right. they did with Star Wars, but it's just like it doesn't engage your imagination anymore if they keep constantly telling you where the story, like, you know, that was Agreed. One of the- although
1: I will say this, and again, I, I stand by my fact that I don't want any further movies. I'm like sixty forty that l Driver survived.
0: Okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk, let's about, talk this. about this. This is part of the mythos of this movie.
1: So, first of all, we're gonna jump ahead to this because I think it's I wanna I wanna go back at some point and talk about the other scenes, but this the the fight scene with Beatrix and Elle in the trailer is so fucking cool. The choreography yeah, on it is it's amazing. Good, man. It's close quarters fighting. I love all the points where L tries to unsheath her Hanzo sword and she paid where she didn't really pay anything for it, but, like, she fronted that she was going to pay a million dollars for it. And she can't unsheath it because there's no room in the fucking trailer, which is <laughs> fantastic. Um, all the, like, busting through walls, the fact that, like, Elle does a barrel roll over Bud's dead body is so funny to me. Um, it's it's just incredible stuff. and. And all the while, in the back of your mind, you're like, "There's a black mamba in this fucking trailer." What's going on. Um,
0: oh, please! But, that is omnipresent. That is that is the first thing happening in my brain while they're happening. Yeah, I, I can't even register moments. Every of the shot of- because I'm so afraid of snakes. And I'm like every shot of right
1: Beatrix's, like bare ankles. I'm like, girl, no, like this no. is a fight for socks. Like this is a fight where you should have some like, like Elle's wearing boots. Like Elle is wearing some like steel-toed boots, and it's like that's what you got to have to for that. But that's also for the reason why I think Elle may have survived. Uh, may may still be alive because, well, we talked about the eyeball snatching, the technique of it at all. Of it yes. all, I also love. The part where, because that sort of comes out of nowhere, where Beatrix is like, Hey, Elle, care to remind me, or care to enlighten me on how uh, and what you said <laughs> to pi Mei that made him snatch your eye? And it's like, oh, we're going to do a little bit of a flashback. And then Elle immediately is like, yeah, but I killed that motherfucker. And then she's sort of laughing about it, and the, the shot of her face and Daryl Hannah deciding to, like, Oh, I can I can I can camp this up a bit. This line reading and she goes, "That's right. I killed your
0: master. It's
1: so <laughs> delicious. It's so fucking good."
0: Um, punctuated with maybe one of the like top 3 lines of this movie/both slash both movies, whatever you bitch. want to call it. You don't have a future. So you don't have a future. Good. So yeah. good. But so she plucks her eye out and
1: then L driver does the You know when, like a child, like a toddler child, will uh, overact something for like effect or whatever, or like pretend that they're like, "Oh, I'm so like, oh, I'm sad, oh, I'm whatever." It's just like that's like L. Driver getting her eye plucked out is like the most like flailing in the dictionary. Flailing is is overreactive
0: child, but at double speed
1: like it's so good she's just like she's in every room of that trailer just like
0: oh you bitch oh i'm gonna get you
1: oh my eye oh my god oh my god whatever and you see the snake as as bare ankle beatrix is leaving the trailer and it sort of like hisses back at her but it coils up but like there is no like there's a decent chance that L is able to get out of that trailer without getting bit by the Black Mamba. Like, there's no yes. guarantee that it's going to go after her. She's certainly not in a great position, but <laughs> I give her I give her a little bit better than even odds that she can eventually get out of that trailer alive. Why not? And so then you have a fully blind L driver... Who is gonna, driving
0: like, out of the desert?
1: <laughs> literally wandering out of the desert with two hands in front of her. She wanders into Asteroid
0: City Stop.
1: meets Maya Hawk. And Maya Hawk is like, Bitch, you
0: have no future. <laughs> Steve Carell is like, Would you like to buy some vending machine real estate? <laughs> um, <laughs> best joke in the movie. Um,
1: um, but yeah, I think I in my head canon, uh, Uh, l driver survived and is and is
0: yeah i think talk about
1: walk the earth is walking the earth just like trying to find uh, beatrix with a banshee
0: in the night in the desert honestly yes
1: yeah what's a snake what's a snake that 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 can't see in the daytime like that's her new viper name she's no longer california mountain snake (laughs) um amazing scene though amazing scene so okay let's i want to flash back to though we don't normally go chronologically through movies and we just didn't
0: but um this, this movie is so... why these movies are almost too good of a fit for us because we but, can't be linear about anything
1: but they're so chaptery so i want to like the the opening scene in black and white where we see uh the bride and tommy doyle uh, what's her name arlene arlene sure sure
0: the the random bridesmaids that she has.
1: Okay, this is my thing. So, like, Quentin Tarantino, by this point in his career, is in the, like, has can cast whoever he wants. Everybody sure. wants to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's really funny to me that none of these people are anybody. Like, no disrespect to any of the yeah, people who play yeah, these yeah, roles, yeah, yeah. But, like, it's wild to me that, like, Tommy isn't a name, that all three of these bridesmaids aren't, like, actresses who you know we know yeah that tommy's
0: not like matt leblanc or something
1: right right like like, i i'm i'm just i'm a little fascinated by it is all um it makes the scene more boring to be honest okay but i think it also makes the scene like i i think it's i think it's a lull right that like sort of like dulls your senses for when bill shows up playing his little piccolo or whatever
0: it's a long, uh, several pages of dialogue between the two of them. I feel like this yeah. scene would play very differently to me if it was one movie, because it would give you this kind of moment of pause that you would almost need in a long, epic movie. Yeah, especially and, after the
1: uh, t- uh, House of Blue Leaves scene.
0: Yeah, and I think as the opener to a whole separate movie, it is a little draggy. To me, it as does one feel movie, a get on with it.
1: As one movie, we don't find out that BB is alive at the end of the Blue Leaves fight, right? Like we don't get that scene with Sophie, right? because then BB becomes do... like a real surprise.
0: I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, continue. Um. Yeah, I don't know if I have a ton to say about this opening sequence. I mean, I do think. I have a question for you, then. This movie is much more about forming up the re- what the relationship is and the emotion between Bill and Beatrix yeah. in a way that we don't understand that relationship in the first movie.
1: At the risk of asking a fan question and not a critic's question, okay. do you think, in the world of this story that this conversation with bill and beatrix that if it had gone differently that bill had was essentially had his mind open enough that he could have called off the assassination if that interaction had gone differently if cuz my thing in my head is the second she introduced him as her father and there was no going back that he oh. was that that,
0: that I that, mean I think I think no simply because like that's who he is he is a killer that's why she g- got away from him he but was don't always you think... going to kill there was nothing stopping him massacring everybody
1: but don't you think he has that conversation with her at the beginning in the hopes that he could find some glimmer of a
0: reason not to do it i mean or no? Am maybe, I giving Bill maybe, too? Maybe, but I think also it's simultaneously true that he was always going to do it because that's sure. who he is. Sure. That's who
1: And also that's what the movie is. And like I get it. Like I'm not sure. stupid. But like <laughs> um just in my head, I, I always think about that part where she introduces him as her father. I'm like, oh, they're like, he's like... That is interesting. Definitely. But also, you're right. And also, like, they had all, you know, bought their little turtlenecks and, and whatnot. And, you know, once you, once you go to that step of coordinating out... Lucy
0: Lou went to the Bob store. The fox went to the Braid store. <laughs>
1: right. But stopped chewing tobacco for a few days yeah. so that he would look
0: you bud know. gelled his hair
1: can i also say multiple scenes of the worst grossest scenes of people getting chewing tobacco splashed in their face like <laughs> and i love that Elle is just like gross when that happens to her when she gets the can of spit uh, uh basically gravy of all the gross things that people all the bodily fluids that end up just on people and whatever in this movie like that's the one where i'm like oh gross um so there's that great shot where it pulls out through the back of the chapel over the backs of the deadly vipers as they like and again. They had to on, choreograph that, right? Ending
0: on, you can Bill's silhouette inside the church. And her
1: yelling, no, Bill! Like that. Um, yeah. But also, like, those four Deadly Vipers, not only, like, coordinated outfits, but also, like, learned how to step in unison. They're, like, ready, and we start on the left and go. And it's, like, I
0: imagine boom, boom, boom. that that was... Uh, Michael Madsen was not choreographed. <laughs> uh, ready.
1: So, then we hit the Bud section. I love the fact that Bud is like canonically empirically the worst he's so pathetic he's like he's there because like you mentioned he's a nepo baby (laughs) he's a nepo baby he's only there because he's he's bill's brother he and bill have had the falling out i do like that little sub runner in this whole series where like everybody bill has ever been associated with ultimately ends up wanting him dead because like he's just such a bastard.
0: Um and then but the he's thing the about gets... Bud. Bud is smarter than people realize. He's more deceptive than people realize even though he doesn't have probably the skill set that the rest of them do. What's his snake his snakes the sidewinder. Sidewinder. Right?
1: He takes yeah. everybody's shit is the other thing. He takes all these moments where you expect like oh god, he's probably going to like kick that guy's ass and it's like no. He just takes it. The boss at the strip club, he just takes it. He cleans out the shitty toilet. He lets Bill sort of ridicule him and he lets uh and then all of a sudden it's just like well and it's not even like beatrix like took him particularly lightly she still like snuck around and whatever but like he was the only one who was smart enough to like be ready with that shotgun full full of full rock salt also the visceral description of two barrels full of rock salt buried in your tits the way he says that i was just like you can feel it
0: like the sting of that is so one of the most like distinct movie memories was seeing this movie in a massive theater and the The sound design of the ground the earth hitting the uh uh, the coffin and oh yeah slow descent into that theater going pitch black yeah truly something you can't recapture yeah. at home not to be the corny person being like the theatrical experience but like truly come on that he can be corny like very that very different in a theater yes. than it is
1: i refuse to be uh to I refuse to allow people to make the argument
0: that it's lame to talk about no, the theatrical I, experience. It's not that it is lame. It's just like you sound lame doing that in this day and I, you know That's like, how I, they
1: get you though, Chris. They know, get you to stop advocating for what's right by I, say, saying that. I who am sound regularly like
0: pontificatory but am terrified of coming across as pontificatory.
1: I will pontificate I get it. as long but, as we, that's how we got into this mess. Not enough people were were uh, willing to sound like a dork. We, we like
0: got uh, our patience for pontification done. Yeah. Anyway. anyway,
1: The Lonely Grave of Paula Schultz. I wonder if that's a, re- a reference. I didn't look that up. I should have, whether Paula Schultz is a character in something or other.
0: The, the headlights flashing on Paula Schultz's skeleton. You can see she makes bunny ears. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah that's yeah. funny um then we get the the flashback into the paime stuff
1: which we talked about Pi May, so good, queer icon honestly Pi May queer coded maybe a little bit like <laughs> he's just there all by himself all that time like why he doesn't have a wife you ask your questions what's going on there
0: is Pi um, May going to the Eros tour or the renaissance world tour <laughs> i think he's question. going renaissance yeah, but that's just cuz you like Paimé and you think Beyonce's awesome.
1: Um Well, I mean, queer. Um <laughs> uh, and then she punches her way out of the I love that scene too where she's in the coffin and like you see like just how crafty she is in terms of like getting it's, her boot I, off and like get the boot up It feels up to like her. the
0: one flourish of this movie that is ridiculous in the way that volume 1 is ridiculous. Uh-huh. Uh that she escapes that coffin.
1: She punches her way out of the coffin. I also love every... By the end of this movie, every little thing she does is visible on her... Like, her bloody knuckles. Her, Mm -hmm. like... When she shows up to fight with Elle in the trailer, she's sunburned from the walk from the desert. Like, that kind of a thing. (laughs) She's got, like, the dirt's all still in her face. And... It all just sort of like accumulates on her. What
0: is Beatrix doing between all of these visits? It feels like she gives herself like a week's vacation between each, you know, tour of murder. Well, which like good for her. She's earned it, and also uh, I think she's her just going body from probably one place, has to
1: recuperate
0: quite a bit. But
1: but she's just sort of going from one thing to another because like by the time. Like Bill's already warning Bud about Beatrix having killed O'Ren. You imagine while that's going on is when Beatrix is He's getting Vernita. And but then like she
0: gets fucked up from that fight too. She doesn't have like scars on her from you well, know, that's going true. through a coffee table. That's true.
1: You make a good point there. Still gotta wash all those uh, Blamo, uh Cheerios out of her Beatrix
0: hair. is just doing so much globetrotting. I can't imagine that she's, like, going and sitting poolside right. in, like, Palm Beach or something. Or, like, you know, going to Miami for a weekend. I feel oh, like she, but- she's going to some cool places that we should be allowed to see. She's in, like, Iceland. She's going to, like, I don't know... Well, if she was
1: able to transfer her miles from her trips to Okinawa and Tokyo into, like, a hotel stay, maybe she did, like, stay at, like, a yeah. spa in New Mexico and then just, like, drove to Barstow from there.
0: You know, I feel like she's already using her miles points, though, f- to go to Japan to kill Oren because she's flying coach. That's true. That's she's using miles to go there.
1: That's a good point. Also, she mentions in the scene with Michael Parks, who honestly is like the worst person in this movie, like low key, like the actual like worst human being in this. Where we like we see the waitress whose like face he deformed, yeah, yeah, and like I don't know, like we you can really don't need that scene. We really don't. We um, really although don't. I do love the part where she just sort of leans back because he's like, "What are you here for?" And she leans back and she's like, "Bill." <laughs> where's bill like that and she's just like motherfucker like we've i don't want to talk to you anymore just tell me where bill is like i don't like you um i like that but anyway um wait what was i gonna say oh so she mentions that she's like well my pussy wagon broke down on me and i'm like well wait a second she she gets the pussy wagon from buck who likes to fuck she drives it but like oh Ren is her first murder right She takes it
0: to the airport. Is the pussy wagon just in long term parking at LAX for like that whole time? I mean, parking rates are not cheap, but I think she can afford it. She's going all around the world.
1: Clearly, Bill was keeping tabs on Beatrix in the hospital, though. Had to have heard that she had broken out. She goes to Okinawa, or Okinawa to meet Hanzo and then Tokyo. Pussy wagon's in long term at LAX that whole time. Everybody knows she's got the pussy wagon, probably, because Buck's friends are like, our friend is dead. one pussy wagon. Our friend is dead, and all of a sudden the parking lot at the hospital doesn't have the pussy wagon there anymore. And so she then comes back from Tokyo, gets back into the pussy wagon, drives the pussy wagon out to Pasadena, and kills Vernita, and then... Somewhere between Pasadena and Barstow, that pussy wagon broke down. Maybe what maybe I'm saying she's is like
0: scare quotes broke down. There's a lot of parking violations, and it just caught up to the pussy wagon, and she just let it go.
1: What I'm saying is Kill Bill Volume One Point Five. The sad tale of the pussy wagon is maybe where
0: <laughs> Beatrix the, Kiddo in traffic court.
1: The only, the only Kill Bill sequel, midquel, whatever that I will accept is the sad tale of Buck Buck's pussy wagon uh, on the road from Pasadena to Barstow, and what exactly happened to that poor car?
0: Uh, it's not a desert vehicle. It's no. Oh,
1: it would have stuck. Can you imagine? Driving through the desert and this gleaming pussy wake. i guess that's the plot of the telephone video, actually.
0: It, um, truly,
1: this—that's—but that can be part of Kill Bill Volume One Point Five. Is while that's right, it's not in long-term parking at LAX. She loans it to Beyonce and Lady Gaga, and are like, "Have fun with this while I'm in Tokyo."
0: And yeah. that's that she sells was going it to, to a teenage Stephanie Germanotta for two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, but telephone takes place in the middle of Kill Bill Volume 1 while the Bride yeah. is in Japan. That's... that's New headcanon just... <laughs> babe, wake up! New headcanon has just dropped. We know where <laughs> the pussy wagon was. We know where the telephone video takes place. I'm galaxy-braining the fuck out of this episode right now. This is
0: great.
1: 100%. Um, I'm on Robitussin and Sudafed and my brain is, is going places. Um... Let's talk about David Carradine. Uh, let's talk about David Carradine. David what a Carradine. terrific performance. What? Okay, so he's nominated for what? He's nominated for something real this year, The right? Globe.
0: He's nominated for The Globe. The Globe,
1: right. So here, the, the Golden Globes are genuinely Lucy Van Pelt's in 2004, <laughs> where they're like, okay, we nominated Uma in 2003. It didn't happen with the Oscars. Trust us. This year, not only are we nominating Uma again, we're nominating David Carradine great and respected actor. Classic Quentin Tarantino reclamation project. He did it with Travolta, he did it with uh Robert Forster. In this one he's doing it with not only David Carradine but also Daryl Hannah and we'll get to Daryl Hannah. But Carradine seemed like a plausible Robert Forster. Where else where nothing else is going to get nominated. Maybe it'll be Carradine. Right? Correct. Like, it would have made sense. It would have made sense. Uh, we mentioned the Kung Fu connection. That's his his big role, was he was star of the 1970s TV series Kung Fu, where he played uh, Kane, who is a, a, a monk, a sort of, like, Shaolin monk, walking the earth, as Jules said in Pulp Fiction, sort of around the American West. And uh, he's also in, like... Mean Streets and Boxcar Bertha, and Bound for Glory. Bound for Glory. He plays Woody Guthrie, and Bound for Glory, which is a Best Picture nominee. Yes, yes, yes. I think it's the most. No, it's not the most recent Best Picture nominee that I've never seen, but it's like it's like it's it's up there. I forget Um, what mine
0: is at this point.
1: Wait, I want to figure this out. King of Tangents. uh, This had Oscar buzz. Hold, please. Uh,
0: I'm going to pull mine up too.
1: Academy Award for Best Picture. All right. So clearly, I've seen everything back through the two thousands. Yes, 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 yes. Right, the English Patient was uh, my most recent until I recently. uh, Great movie. Remedied that.
0: We'll edit all this out.
1: No, we won't. I listeners love the rumination.
0: Listeners, listeners, if we kept all of this. dead air in you better also be pulling up the best picture lineups to figure out what your most recent you love it how many you haven't seen yeah uh
1: awakenings
0: oh no il postino was my most recent one and i caught up to that i was gonna say you watched
1: that recently right yeah yeah it's fine um il postino it's fine yeah bound for glory is my most no not bound for glory I'm mistaking Bound for Glory with Hope and Glory. Hope and oh. Glory is the 1987 nominee for Best Picture, the John Borman movie.
0: When was Bound which for Glory? Which I think Glory? is also mine. That's so funny. Do we have to do a bonus episode where we watch Hope and Glory?
1: Bound for Glory, though, also a Best Picture nominee, but that was 1976. So I was I was right about that, that it was a Best Picture nominee, but I was wrong that it was my most recent. It is Hope and Glory. The,
0: uh, Hope and Glory is also my most recent I haven't seen.
1: Which looks like from the poster that it's like belfasty. Yes, right? Yes. Little kid in short pants in uh wartime
0: something or other. After that it looks like a soldier's story is the next one for me.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe let's see. No, cuz I still have to see the last emperor.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: So, there we go. Good movie. Anyway, yeah, we should we should watch Hope and Glory for an excursion sometime. That'd be funny. Just right. because, just because, Hope and Glory, and uh, I have always wanted to to watch the Whales of August uh, with you for something or other. Just because, because why? It's the why? same year. Because it's fucking old ass ladies. It's Ladies in Lavender, but with like Lily sure, Gish and sure, Betty sure, Davis. Sure. Why wouldn't we do that? Um, it's the same year. I so just didn't glory.
0: know why you prescribed it to me.
1: Because you're my favorite old ass lady. Um, I don't that's know. That's <laughs> true. That's
0: true. It's us seaside when we're 80. Yes. Essentially, um, yes. It's so us coded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, back to Bill.
1: Right. Back to Bill. Bill, shut you in the head. David um, Carradine
0: is so good in this movie. I feel like y- you mentioned it's like the the Tarantino rehabilitation project, which always feels like he's doing it for someone. Even if it doesn't necessarily feel like they need rehabilitated, they just need the kickstart of like, put this person in a major role again, like he did with Kurt Russell.
1: I was just about to say Kurt Russell.
0: Yes, that's exactly Um, what I was
1: about to say. Yeah,
0: yeah. This feels like the biggest version of that besides maybe Travolta. But even so, I don't think Travolta gets to do these like this massive monologue type of showcase and like these movies hinge on david carradine's screen persona and like he's got such a great voice
1: yeah like it's so like you could it's that you know cliche about listening to him read the phone book
0: but such a relaxed screen presence who's also very enigmatic and charming
1: and so he can project menace Without raising his voice mm-hmm. and without, you know, really even like cranking up anything like sinister, it's just very plain spoken. It's very, um, it's the phone call he has with Elle when Elle's in the hospital, and he's like, That would be beneath us. Mm-hmm. And you can tell he's sort of like, He is intimidating her, but it's very calmly,
0: and it's very, I don't know, it's, it's, it's He's so interesting crazy. that he originally wanted Warren Beatty for this role because that is so exactly wrong, and David Carradine is so perfect for it. Yes, that yeah, it it makes you want. Like you can understand why the idea of Warren Beatty as this figure that the movie is building towards makes sense because Warren Beatty is Warren Beatty, right? But it's a different it's so movie. much more interesting it's- when it's a David Carradine who maybe hasn't played that type of character before but fits so comfortably within it because the how he turns from sinister it's just you know it seems effortless and it seems you know like this sudden thing from when he's being so charming and warm but it's really about yeah you know taking that Magnetism that he has, knowing that we in the audience are drawn to him and these characters are drawn to him, yeah, and then actually taking control of that and weaponizing it against people, and yeah, almost yeah. saying, I know I have this pull over you.
1: Uh, the supporting actor race in 2004, I've mentioned a few times how much it annoyed me that Don't Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx gets the collateral nomination, even though he's the lead of that movie, and even though he had an Oscar nomination already that year, so it's not like they needed to give him a second one. And the fact that that nomination, among others, that it left leaves off, it leaves off Carradine and Kill Bill, too. And I don't know. My guess is Carradine was probably not sixth place in the voting that year, but... Probably not.
0: Even still. I just don't love off. this lineup. I... <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church is funny in Sideways. I even when I I liked Sideways more at the time than I do now, and I still don't understand why that was the most praised performance from that movie. It there is a cer- I mean like there is an arc to that character, and I think yeah it, he's like kind of the perfect actor to. Show how pathetic that guy is without sure. like hammering it, but I I don't know if it's still like Oscar nominee. I don't understand. I mean, I, I understand you. Alan Alda getting nominated for The Aviator because of his career, but like that's not the performance I jump to in The Aviator. The Jamie Fox thing. I think Jamie Fox is incredible in Collateral, but that is a lead performance. Yeah, he's fine in Collateral, and then Morgan Freeman. Lead. Like you, you understand how Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman wins I get, it. I get, I get, I get it. it. I get it. I get it. It's the greatest you know, hits of Morgan Freeman. I'm a human type being.
1: I understand it. I watched Seven again last night for the like. I mean, eight. Seven
0: would be a great Morgan Freeman Oscar. Morgan like, Freeman, he's so good,
1: is so fucking good in Seven. As is Brad Pitt. By the way, we've somehow like fooled ourselves into this cultural undercurrent that brad pitt was bad in seven
0: and i don't brad pitt's doing it. a lot but i i think there's uh there's That's purpose fine. in him doing there's, so there's much
1: there's room in, in seven to do a lot you know what i mean like it's not yeah. like seven it's like well we're going to be very demure about this whole thing um
0: you know who i like and this is not in hindsight this is just i'm like this don't is maybe do it don't too do this. much
1: no don't do this oh what You're going to say Spacey was bad in 7.
0: I don't think Spacey's bad, but when I watch Spacey now, and this is probably just a sensibility of it, and like the movie shocking me less now, that it's like, at the time, it was so shocking and you get to that performance and it's so scary, and now I'm not scared by Spacey in that movie. He's so good.
1: He's so fucking good in that movie. I'm sorry. Like William I know Freeman's he's a bad person. Movie, it yeah. would be better if he wasn't a good actor, but here we go.
0: No, are. I just I I think it's a certain sensibility thing where it's just like okay. the performance choices in that are just not going to upset me in the way that they did maybe in the 90s. Sure. Like
1: I think that's a five-star movie. I think that's an incredible.
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. Um
1: anyway, what I was going to say about Alan Alda cuz you brought up Alan Alda. If we had known <laughs> In nine or in two thousand four, that marriage story was coming, and that we could give oh, Alanalda Alda a career nomination for Marriage Story. He would that have would have all worked out movie. so much better. Like he's so great in
0: that. movie. I mean, in the Aviator, he got you know. I think it metastasized around that performance because he's playing against type, sure, and, and sure. it's a career thing. Did he win BAFTA
1: for no. Aviator? That would surprise me. Hold on a second. Please hold.
0: I thought he might have won something significant. That's that wild if true.
1: Alan Alda is so funny. Like Alan Alda was the one who was nominated for I want to say the Globe or something else for crimes and misdemeanors. And then at the very last moment they're like, Nope, not you. We're gonna nominate Landau instead. Um let's see, awards and nominations for Mr. Alan Alda. Good thing IMDB doesn't hide everything on its page for you. BAFTA! He did not win BAFTA. He was nominated for The Aviator, and nominated for Crimes and Misdemeanors, as I just said. Um, Let's see. He won eight bajillion Emmys for... a bunch for MASH, but also... wait, I want to list all of his Emmy wins, because he's one of those people who, like... uh, he was nominated, like, every single year for M.A.S.H. He won in 1974. Oh, he was also... Oh, that's weird. That they had an Emmy for Actor of the Year and also Best Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. Whatever. He wins in 1974. He wins in 1977. He wins in 1979. Um, 1982 and then comes back like gets nominated for like and the band played on where he's so good he's such a bastard in and the band played on do you remember him yes. he's the doctor who like won't share his research or whatever um nominated for a guest starring appearance on er uh wins the emmy for the final season of the west wing um uh, playing a republican uh, fairy tale candidate arnold vinick uh, is nominated for his guest spot on uh, 30 Rock, and then has most recently been nominated for a guest starring role on uh, The Blacklist. So the Emmys, fucking love... How did we get on an Alan Alda kick? Oh, the 2004... Because of The Aviator. Right, okay. Up, uh, safe up, back
0: to back say up. we're both Clive Owen voters, correct?
1: Yes. From yeah, this oh, Clive Owen's yeah. incredible, incredible.
0: Ever since incredible. I... Discovered that that role was played originally on Broadway by Kieran Hines. I can only see Kieran Hines when I see Clive oh. Owen. It's like, are you his son? Like, yeah. They just look so alike to me now. Um, I
1: brought up my my supporting actor uh, and supporting actress, because we'll talk about them when we talk about Daryl Hanna in a second. Uh, my supporting actor ballad that year was Wahlberg and Jude Law from Huckabee's Clive Owen for Closer, Carradine for Kill Bill Two, and then I had Tony Leung for Hero. And now I'm like, should I watch Hero again? And I was was I maybe a little overrating the acting in Hero? But like, I don't know. Tony Leung's awesome, so like, I stand by that. I guess
0: uh, I might for go with me around that is SARSGARD and Kinsey. Sardar and Kinsey, honestly, Elfin... in um, Eternal Sunshine, and I, I still Wilkinson think I'm... in Eternal Sunshine too. Yeah. Wilkinson rules in that I, movie. I do still think I stand by my winner is Defoe in Life Aquatic. Oh, he's he is very funny. He's a tremendous Paul Bettany
1: in Dogville. I think is incredible in that mm. in that same year. Molina in Spider Man Two. I also think like fucking rules. Um. Let's talk about Daryl Hannah, who could have also been a Quentin Tarantino reclamation project. Because talk about like a real interesting career, right? Where like she's in um, the De Palma movie, The Fury, mm-hmm. which I've never seen before, but I'm going to try. It it's on streaming somewhere because it's on my list of like things I should see for sp- spooky month this year. She's in Blade Runner. Uh, which I think was probably the first sort of big movie for her. Did she have like a big TV show early on or no? Maybe not. It was a bunch of TV movies that she had done. Um, But obviously Splash is huge for her. 1984, she's in Splash. Um, She's also in The Pope of Greenwich Village that same year. And that's a movie that I saw a long time ago, but I don't really remember what happens with her in that. She's in Roxanne, opposite Steve Martin, the sort of Cyrano de Bergerac. uh, Good movie. She's in Wall Street, where she has she's the girlfriend of Charlie Sheen, and she has the single most bananas apartment I've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life, full of all these weird like eighties like innovations and whatnot. And
0: how dare you just like breeze right past Legal Eagles? Oh, I've never seen Legal Eagles. Talk to me about Legal Eagles. <laughs> it, I mean, like, no. That that's Her, Redford, that and who else? Just as
1: a title. It's her and Redford and someone.
0: Uh Deborah Winger.
1: Deborah Winger. Yeah. An Ivan Reitman movie, Legal Eagles. I should watch that. Um Then Steel Magnolias, which we've argued before. I think she's the worst of all of them, and you yelled at me for that.
0: I just, I mean, there is no worst of all of them, but
1: there has to be. And also, I think she's visibly the worst of all of them. Is Dermot Mulroney? It's Dylan McDermott, first of all. So, same. I love that you earnestly make that mistake. Most people now like affectedly make that mistake, and I love that you still earnestly make that mistake. Well, That's I,
0: great. I, exactly, he's the worst one in the movie. So, who am I supposed to remember <laughs> who he even is? Uh, Jackson. Um, uh, Jackson. No, I think says.
1: she's. I think she's noticeably. A step behind everybody else in that movie, but I will—I uh, won't own that. Whatever.
0: Let, let, let's keep going. She's uh, the attack of the fifty-foot woman. I remember that from blockbuster days. I do actually. Also remember that. Is that a she's... Showtime movie? Yes. Yes,
1: I say with a question mark. Um, it's listed under her daughters TV work in the uh,
0: Grumpy movies.
1: Right. She's. She's. Um. Who's, wait, whose daughter is it? She's which one's Jack daughter? Lemons. Lemon's daughter, right. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, because Kevin Pollock
1: is Pollock Walter is Martha's Matthew's son. son. Right. Okay. Um She's in Memoirs of an Invisible Man, the John Carpenter movie that I've never seen, opposite Chevy Chase. She And then it's like and it's like then the nineties are a real sort of wasteland. I recently saw because I did the Grisham draft on screen draft, so I watched The Gingerbread Man for the first time. Bad and movie. she's so weirdly cast in that movie. She's like the DA maybe or like she's like she's like the most this is going to sound like shade. She's the most competent character in the movie. She's like the professional or whatever, who like, while like Kenneth Branagh is like making every bad, dumb decision possible. And like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is sort of the scummy, like uh, investigator photographer guy. And like Daryl Hannah is like the adult in the room. And meanwhile, the like, obviously untrustworthy femme fatale is M. Beth Davids. And it's like, Maybe swap those two. Like maybe just like <laughs> make Daryl Hannah the obviously untru- untrustworthy uh, femme fatale, and like let M. Beth David's play the adult in the room, like she should be playing. I don't know. Uh, it's a weird movie, super weird movie. Not but a like good the nineties n- are like a real a real wasteland for Daryl Hannah, and by the time Kill Bill comes around. She's in movies. She's in Casadillo's Babies. You know, she's in uh, Dancing at the Blue Iguana, which my is my favorite Martian. Uh, she's in my favorite Martian. Um, but it's like it's a it's a it's it's a real it's a desert for her. And then she comes in, and she's in Volume One, and she's got the incredible scene where she's whistling down the corridor in the hospital with her nurse. Uh, well, first of all, in her trench coat with her painted on pockets uh (laughs) and and then in the nurse outfit and you get the one scene of her on the phone with with bill and she says the thing to the bride about i hope you never wake up it's not it does not prepare you for how much fucking fun she is yeah in the very brief screen time she has in volume two like it's you remember her so much more than her screen time actually
0: communicates in Volume Two. She's really yeah.
1: in a very small part of this movie. She's
0: in marginally more than she is in Volume One. But she's she's the show. But she gets to have like, a fight.
1: She well, she, she also gets to have a monologue. Like it's she's the, the so, two things you want such out of a character. Natural
0: movie. fit into this movie that it is somewhat of a wonder that he never cast her again. Yes. Yes. He does I'd that, love though. to see her in another one of his movies. He didn't cast forster again. He didn't cast
1: Travolta again. You know what i mean right. like he he he's a person who does who has his loyalties and he has his people who he does carry from like movie to movie. but it's not often the reclamation projects right, right. like it's those people are are kind of one offs in a way, which I think is interesting um but She first has the scene with Bud, where I love that scene too. Where like everything in that scene has a sharp edge, right? Where it's like the ice cube tray is one of those old fashioned ones, the dirty blender, the blades, that dirty ass blender, right? Like everything, and it's all it's all setting you up subconsciously for the Mamba to to make its appearance, and then she takes out her little steno pad or whatever, and her memo pad rather and starts reading that wikipedia entry and it's so <laughs> it's classic tarantino right where it's like it's somebody being so compelling just reading dialogue mm-hmm. and the thing about like gargantuan i so i so f- rarely get the chance to, to use, use it in word. a sentence um uh you mentioned the part at the very beginning about like this part pertains to you so listen up um uh, there's so many just like just line readings that you remember of um, uh, only with the mamba is death sure. Uh all that kind of stuff. And, and she like peppers that in with this just like snarling disdain for Bud that he could have gotten the jump on her. And I don't know the way she like talks to Bill on the phone where she's like, she tries to placate him and it's all like, baby, it's fine. Like, What does she say? Like, go smoke a smoke a joint, and I'll be, uh, and I'll be home before you know it, or something like that. Clearly, that like she's now the woman he's moved on to, and like she thinks that she's like she's in with Bill, and like, but we
0: all know that like Bill is still hung up on. She has nothing to do with BB. We know that. Daryl Hannah does get to share a Best Fight MTV Movie Award with Uma Thurman. Read out our nominees for that, please. Read out our nominees. I can't wait. Our nominees are Anchorman for the Battle of All Those News Teams, House of Flying Daggers for Zizong long fighting uh, a whole slew of guards, and then Troy for Brad Pitt and Eric Bana. I don't Achilles... even think that's the fight that I choose.
1: Achilles versus movie. Hector, man. Um, I, I. Kind of can't wait to rewatch Troy. I am so willing to be just a great like great
0: exceptions episode.
1: It would be a great exceptions episode. It was nominated for what cinematography costumes. Sure, well, sure, cause, right, because it shows off all their uh, gams.
0: Yeah, those yeah. little
1: those little skirts and whatnot.
0: Um, uh, they just nominated Tom of Finland for all of the gear for that movie. <laughs> first, uh, first Oscar nomination for Tom of Finland. Um, uh,
1: congratulations, we we congratulate Tom of Finland. Um, uh, that's a so, well-deserved yeah, win
0: for Best Well-deserved play. win. Uh, uh, this movie did even better, you might say, at the MTV Movie Awards because uh, Uma Thurman wins Best Hero. Not Best Female Performance this time, though. She is nominated for that. She I'll loses lose this... to Lindsay Lohan sure, for sure. Mean Girls. Also nominated Rachel McAdams for The Notebooks. So oh, so... This is The, the TV Movie Awards where they recreate The Kiss, uh, Natalie so, Portman for Garden State, and Hilary Swank for Million Dollar Baby. Sometimes they like to nominate the Oscar nominees and then I don't think ever give winning. them the same yeah. prize.
1: So you have to imagine when Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah win for Best Fight, that clapping along for them in the audience is... Is Ryan Gosling in his
0: Darfur T-shirt? So just just
1: picture that
0: <laughs> in your in your mind. Uh, Uma Thurman winning Best Hero also nominated were Matt Damon for The Bourne Supremacy, Ke- Keanu Reeves for Constantine, that's hilarious by the wire for Spider Man Two, and wait for it, uh, Hugh Jackman for Van Helsing. Um, Constantine's a rad movie. Keanu Reeves
1: is awesome in it. The whole point of that guy is that he's not strictly a hero. Like, that's the whole point of Constantine, that he's like an anti hero.
0: He kind of is. He's a protagonist. Uh, Criminally, Tilda was not nominated for Best Villain. For playing Gabriel. Ugh. Spider-Man so 2 was nominated for Best Villain, though, for, wow, the Broadway establishment for canceling Mary Jane's Broadway musical? Wait, is that Spider-Man 2 or is yes. that Spider-Man 3? No, wait, wait. When is MJ on Broadway? Oh, fuck. <laughs> the villain of Broadway. Spider-Man 2, <laughs> she marries,
1: like, astronaut Mike Dexter or whatever the fuck, right? And then her is supposed uh, sure. to. She's engaged. I think it's Spider-Man 3, right? Because he like that's when he's like turning into like asshole dancey, uh emo emo emo, emo Peter, Peter Parker. Parker. Yeah. Um okay, so
0: Kill Bill Volume 2 does not win but is nominated for best movie whereas Volume 1 was not. I'm going to give you Oh. I, I mean maybe I shouldn't gamify this, but we're gonna No, gamify, gamify it. I like it. I like it. I'm going to give you the other four nominees. You have to tell me what won. Napoleon Dynamite The Incredibles, Ray, and Spider Man Two.
1: In terms of popularity, it should be Spider Man Two, but wasn't Napoleon Dynamite an MTV Films production? It was,
0: so I think it's Napoleon
1: Dynamite wins. Yeah, what a time! (laughs) What a time had by all. Listen, there was a moment where youth culture was all told that we should all be. uh, I always Napoleon Dynamite. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was a genuine groundswell from Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite to me seems like the astroturf of, uh, of um, like indie films. In that, like, you know how astroturf is the derogatory term for like fake grassroots stuff that, like, stuff sure. that's supposed to look like grassroots, but it's it's not. That to me is Napoleon Dynamite. Is they try to fake, uh, an indie groundswell of, of appeal, and it's like right.
0: It was always mainstream, and it was always team. Yeah, focused.
1: which like yeah. makes me sound like an asshole, and I'm like, other people fell for it, but I didn't. Like, I don't know. That's not really what I'm saying, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems so obvious to me. Yeah, that, like, I, I something am, about I this am not, is not cool right. enough
0: to admit that I fell for it in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, but you know. Mean Girls was definitely the big winner of this MTV Movie Award, because it also won On Screen Team, and Rachel McAdams won uh, Breakthrough Female. Who won Best Villain? Best Villain went to Ben Stiller for Dodgeball.
1: Over Rachel McAdams for Mean Girls?
0: And Alfred Molina, Tom Cruise for Collateral, and Jim Carrey for Lemony Snicket. That's fucked up. Isn't Dodgeball, like, a $100 million movie? Dodgeball was really popular. I loved Dodgeball, but that's
1: still fucked up in terms of an awards. Like, I think Dodgeball's great. But also, like, Ben Stiller's maybe, like, the fourth best part of Dodgeball, too. It's, like, Rip Torn, Justin Long, the Dodgeballs, Jason Bateman, (laughs) then, like, Ben Stiller. So, like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Those priorities. Priorities is what I'm saying. Also Missy Pyle and her unibrow.
0: Anyway. um, We should also talk about Uma Thurman's Globe nomination let's. because David Carradine is basically nominated with the Oscar lineup and then Alan Alda gets his spot. Uma, Thur- This Best Actress in a Drama lineup is interesting and funny. <laughs> Hilary Swank wins for Million Dollar Baby. The only other Oscar nominee there is Imelda Staunton for Vera Drake. Also nominated... Previous This Had Oscar Buzz episode, Birth, Nicole Kidman. Right. And previous This Had Oscar Buzz episode that I completely forgot we did and forgot everything about the movie, Scarlett Johansson in a love Love song song. for Bobby Long. Bobby. Bobby Bobby. Um
1: we talked about Uma's career leading up to the Kill Bills last time. I want to talk about her career immediately following the Kill Bills this time. Um, cause this is where it sort of gets, uh, and also we can like, we, what did we just find out about uh, this week? Uh, the, uh, the, who, who accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault? Julia Ormond. Julia Ormond, right. Anytime an actor, or, or sorry, anytime an actress who was big in the nineties and it's like, whatever happened to them? My very first thought is always like, oh, it's something like this. Oh, it's something like some sort of sexual harassment thing, and they were, you know, uh, they were forced out of the industry or they were, you know, shunned or or washed their hands of it or whatever. It's so just depressing. And so you look at like everything we know about like Uma Thurman and the fallout between her and Tarantino and uh, what she's uh, said about Harvey Weinstein. So, all of that, take all of that into account when we talk about her career. On the be- on the backside of the Kill Bill movies, she's in Be Cool in 2005, which reunites her. Speaking of you know, Tarantino, she comes off of the Kill Bill reunion with Tarantino, then reunites with Travolta from Pulp Fiction in Be Cool in a movie that was like universally panned, and like everybody Horrid was like, movie. We do not like this, we did not want this. Uh, we all loved it's the Get Shorty sequel. Um and, and and for as much as people loved Get Shorty, they hated Be Cool. So um that same year, two thousand five, she's really coming hot off of Kale Bell. So she's mm-hmm. in the producers where she plays Ula. Uh, we will do the producers. We constantly promising, but it's one of our few musicals we still have in the We've in the chamber. We've so many musicals, so we're yeah. like really trying to hold on to it with uh, with all that. We Though have. at this
0: point, exception now that we're doing exceptions over on the Patreon, that's, that's a lot of musicals that it opens us up that to. True. So, uh, but anyway, she's also in Prime. We've done an episode on Prime.
1: Um, Uh, Not a good movie, but a movie that I uh, weirdly think fondly of because it reminds me of other movies that I like better than it. Um, But that's like
0: three bombs right there. Three at least... uh, Prime, I think, did the best box office of those three, but all three of those did not get good reviews.
1: Producers, I thought, made some money, right? Am I wrong? No, I guess not. No, it really didn't. I don't know why I thought it did okay. I guess not. Um... Two thousand six, the bombs continue. My super ex girlfriend again. Uh, that's an Ivan Reitman movie where she's uh, Luke Wilson's girlfriend, and the whole idea is psh, imagine being imagine being a superhero's boyfriend. Boy, that that'd super suck. Like, wouldn't that be awful? I'm like, <laughs> I
0: don't know. Um, Secret Columbine.
1: Secret Columbine movie, The Life Before Her Eyes, which was uh, what's his face's follow up to House of Sand and Fog. Uh, Vadim Perelman's uh, Fellowship, a uh, followship, follow up to uh, House of Sand and Fog. Um, a movie called The Accidental Husband, which is a Griffin Dunn movie where she is, as the poster suggests, torn between a, a suit jacket wearing Colin Firth and a grubby T shirt wearing Jeffrey Dean Morgan who's like poking her on the shoulder. This movie looks horrible. I'm just saying from the poster. <laughs> I'm only saying from the poster that it looks horrible. She plays Medusa in Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. She's in what I think is a really good movie from Max Winkler called Ceremony from 2010 that like very few people saw. But it's her and Michael Angarano, uh, and they he like essentially like falls for her uh, during a wedding weekend for his brother maybe i don't know something's happening um uh it's the first time i'd ever seen jake johnson in anything jake johnson plays um the sort of like uh uh no he's the brother he's my gongarano's brother and he's very like uh disturbed i need to see this movie again because clearly the plot is escaping me but i remember really liking it and i thought she was really good um in it uh she's in the non-gay porn movie Bellamy in, uh, 2012. (laughs) She's in, uh, movie 43 where, uh, she, along with a lot of other people, we can't only, uh, let Uma go down with that chip. She's a nymphomaniac, uh, 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 i always confuse that we like to show
0: the children the whoring bed
1: that's the thing ever since uh the beguiled i now confuse that quote with kidman's and so i always have uma in my mind saying fetch me the whoring bed which like that's not that's not how that works um she's of course in a little movie in 2015 called burnt
0: Uh, also in this window she is in not just smash but also the slap yes that's a one-two punch of television she plays uh,
1: famous nut allergy sufferer rebecca duvall in smash and then she plays what's her like incredibly greek name In the slap, a nuke, a nuke
0: Latham. In the slap, I was gonna say, she's the hand in the slap.
1: (laughs) The cast, who
0: slaps? Who slaps in the slap? It's
1: Quinto, Zachary Quinto slaps Melissa George and Peter Sarsgaard's kid. Oh my god, wait, I'm reading you the cast as listed in Wikipedia. Okay, maybe
0: we need to do an excursion on the slap.
1: We do because okay, it's Peter Sarsgaard as Hector. Apostolu. I can't remember how they pronounce their name. Tandue Newton played Peter Sarsgaard's wife. They had two kids. Uma Thurman is like friend of the family, freewheeling, TV producer chick. Um, Melissa George is... Fuck. Wait. Melissa George and Tom Sadowski... Play the parents of the kid who gets slapped. The slappy. Hugo is referred to in Wikipedia as the slappy. Um, <laughs> Zachary Quinto is Peter Sarsgaard's cousin who does the slapping. Um, his wife is played by Marin Ireland. Um, Peter Sarsgaard's father is played by Brian Cox. Uh, who else is in Why this is show? This like, happening? I just remember I, Lucas Hedges the, being, like, the, the one daughter's friend. Um, the
0: Slap was ABC, right? So it's NBC. feasibly on Peacock right now. NBC,
1: yeah, so it should be on. It should be. Let's find out. We're gonna find this out in one second. The Slap. Yeah, that would be a hell of an excursions episode. The Slap. We're making so many excursions promises. We only do one a month. We're probably, like, scheduled out for through, like, 2025. It does not
0: say... It, it, the slap was on NBC. Yeah, that's what I said. NBC is stuff is on
1: Peacock, though.
0: Oh, okay, got it. ABC stuff is on Hulu. Well, anyway, it's not either. It's on Acorn. Why is it not on Peacock?
1: Get your shit together, Peacock. Uh, you can rent it on Amazon, though. The slap. All right. Um. Anyway, uh, Uma somehow gets, like, multiple... Lars von Trier stuff, because it's not just Nymphomaniac, she's in the horrid The House That Jack Built, which is, like, so... It makes you really just feel, like, grimy. Um, She's, of course, in The War With Grandpa, which was the number one movie at the box office for several weeks during the pandemic. (laughs) Um, And then, most recently, she's the president of the United States with an empirically correct Texas accent. I don't know that anybody ever had any problems with it, so nobody mentioned it, or uh, said that it sounded crazy, or anything like
0: that, uh, in red, white, and royal blue. So... I just... I... Having not watched that, having, you know, gonna be a pass on that... Uh, I'm gonna have to pass on that one. Uh-huh. Uh, doth spoke, uh, Ruth Franklin. Um, uh, I just... I... I don't want to ever hear it. I don't want to ever hear it because you I've hear heard it. so many different things that I the version that lives in my mind is the most pure. That makes sense.
1: She's also going to be uh upcoming in the uh non Gina Prince by the way, directed The Old Guard 2. Uh the sequel to uh other uh pandemic <laughs> pandemic era movie. Uh, the old guard, which I imagine would put her and Charlize Theron in conflict. Like you'd be stupid to cast Uma Thurman in that movie and not have her and Charlize sort of go toe to toe. These two action chicks of the aughts, right? Like that's sort of that seems, you know, that seems to only make sense. You'd want the Bride and Furiosa to to do battle in the old guard too. Why else are you making the old guard too? You know what I mean? Sure. Are you not looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to that.
0: I didn't love the old... Guard.
1: No, I just mean the idea of Charlize and Uma fighting in a movie. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I would yeah.
0: watch that in anything.
1: Yeah. I liked the old guard probably a little bit less. The old the old guard hype was very weird. We Like, you can't... It's like you can't recreate the lab conditions for the old guard. It really did come at the crossroads of so many things, where it was like the pandemic... It was so nice to see a movie that had some scale to it uh, uh, during the pandemic. But still,
0: all that CGI looks like dog shit. In that
1: right, movie. right. But what I but you, do you remember what I what I mean about like it yes, was nice. Yes, yes. It was it was the first movie in a while at during the point in the pandemic that it aired where it was like oh this feels Along like
0: the five bloods.
1: Yes, this feels like a movie that feels like a movie, and and at the same time, it was like there was a lot of optimism for gina prince by there was a lot of um we, i think there was a there was a desire for her to succeed to 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 have her success be trumpeted do you know what i mean like to yeah. not let another good gina Br- prince Bythewood movie get swept under the rug like uh beyond the lights did do you know what i mean so there yeah. was a lot of vocal enthusiasm for it and i think at some point that ended up overrating the movie a little bit, but I still enjoyed it for what it was, and I'm interested to see where this next movie goes, even if it is just an excuse to have Charlize and Uma go punchy punchy with each other. Because I'm in, I'm into that. So, yeah, Uma Thurman. We're at almost the two hour mark. We should probably wrap up. This our- movie
0: once again stayed in the awards race, uh, not just for the. Uh, like Globes that we mentioned and David Carradine, I think especially. Uh, It still uh, got mentions by uh, guild nominations from the editors, costume designers, and sound editors, all which had recognized the first movie as well. I think back what we said at the top, that this was a less violent movie than the first one and got better reviews, definitely kind of help this movie in that way, that it has more, finger quotes, respectability in that way. Um, More of those
1: classic Tarantino monologues, more of the kinds of pastiche stuff that that voters, you know, appeal to. Like, a Western is always going to appeal to Oscar voters better than a Samurai movie.
0: Let's also not uh, forget that the Oscars were coming off of Awarding in a big way the franchise finale of uh, you know a multi-installment story. That is true. That's very true.
1: I'm glad we did these these two episodes back to back, though. I like the idea of taking this as a saga, taking you know this interesting chapter of Tarantino's career. I was happy to to do a little
0: anniversary
1: do like to do that and yeah if you're listening to these and you haven't gone and watched rewatched, or watched The Kill Bills I would say do it you don't have to watch them both back to back but like watch them both within a few weeks of each other I would say yeah. like it's 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 an experience it's a fun experience so there we have it
0: A good time. Joe, would you like to uh, describe the IMDb game for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I can read off the rules for the IMDb game. I've done it before, after all. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue, and if that's not enough, it just becomes a free for all of hints
0: and would you like to give or guess first my friend
1: i'll give because you're gonna be mad at me about it
0: and then i'll (laughs) give you time to all right that's fine um i went
1: into uh uh, be cool the cast of uh be cool uh which was uma's follow-up to uh kill bill as i mentioned are you
0: giving me andre benjamin
1: no, you gave me Andre Benjamin some recently so... Uh, oh, okay. Or somebody gave me Andre Benjamin, maybe it was a guest. Um, I'm giving you Vince Vaughn.
0: Okay, Vince Vaughn. Uh, Wedding Crashers. Yes. Um, there's a lot of options here. Yes. I feel like even for something recently, was it called Freaky? People seem to like that movie. I have to imagine Swingers is there.
1: I'm waiting for official guesses. Swingers. Only. No, not
0: swingers. No swingers. No okay. Swingers. I wonder if Fred Claus is there. Fred Claus showed up for somebody. I don't know. I hate Vince Vaughn. I know. I know you're going to say this. Old school.
1: No. No old school. Oh, okay. All right. Your years are 2006,
0: 2009, and 2017. Wow. Okay. So... Two that are in the era of Vince Vaughn that I would have expected in 2017. Is 2017 Hacksaw Ridge? No, that's 2016. Okay. Um, So, after Hacksaw Ridge, but what the hell would that have been? You say 2009 and what? 2006. Okay. So, both of those are after
1: both of those have him with a producer credit, but he's also the star, one okay. of the main stars of both of them.
0: Two thousand six doesn't happen to be Fred Claus, does it? No, it's not Fred okay. Claus. Um, uh, producer credits. These have to be comedies. They are, but what would hmm? wiped most of his movies out of my brain because I
1: the titles at least seem like sort of thematically related a little bit
0: uh man children they're (laughs) all just about overgrown man women hating man children um okay so the 2006 one was I believe pretty successful right that would make sense um,
1: and was, like, I remember people being, like, no, that's a pretty good movie, and, like, is a comedy, but also, like,
0: works... Has dramatic elements.
1: Yeah, like, works as, like, takes its subject seriously.
0: And he's the lead. He's one of the two leads. It's, like, a two-lead movie. The They're both on the poster. Both dudes. Nope. They are... Nope. Man and a woman. No. Oh, okay, so it's a man and a woman. It's a rom-com, then.
1: Yeah, but, like, the rom is is... Has faded. Oh, it's the breakup. The breakup. The breakup. Yeah. Um. So before yeah, the breakup, like that movie. Before the breakup, what, what might you try to to get things back on track?
0: Oh, couples a couples retreat. Couples retreat. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So that's Never your two thousand
1: nine. Your twenty seventeen so, is a movie I haven't seen, and I'm sure you haven't seen. But we both have heard of, and both of us, I imagine, at hearing... Oh, is this like Dragged Across
0: Concrete it's or one of those It's not, movies? but brawl it's like... Brawl and Cell Block 99. It is or, Brawl and Cell Block 99. God, yes. fuck off.
1: Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's wait. your Brian Cox, no- or not your Brian Cox, your, uh, <laughs> your Vince Vaughn known for. Brian Cox would never. Um, yeah, there we go.
0: Would Brian Cox? Brian Cox has been in a lot of
1: movies, and a lot of them not good. Yeah, um, but he's been also been in a lot of good movies. I don't know. I think Brian Cox's batting average is better than Vince Vaughn's, but what we can argue about Probably.
0: that. Probably. Uh, uh, no doubt. Um, I stayed for you in the lane of Bill actors, and surprisingly, I went easier on you this week. But uh, we've never done Bill Murray. Really? Apparently not. Bill
1: Murray's interesting, because you're going to be tempted to go for a lot of 80s stuff, but the IMDb game skews later. But I'm still going to say Ghostbusters.
0: Incorrect. No Ghostbusters. Monster? Fucker. Um Lost in translation. Lost in translation. Correct. Huh,
1: huh, huh, huh. There's going to be some real fuckery here. I can tell. Um, Rushmore?
0: Correct. Rushmore. Okay. Okay. His second biggest award success.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um,
0: <sharp inhale> Groundhog Day. Incorrect, no Groundhog Day. Really? So your years are 2004 and 2012. The Life Aquatic? Life Aquatic. Really? And then 2012...
1: Murray, is it Moonrise? Is it all Wes Andersons? Moonrise Kingdom.
0: Wow. Three Wes Andersons and, and a Boston Sophia
1: Coppola. Oh, man. The hipsters really got to the IMDb game <laughs> there. That's incredible. No
0: Ghostbusters, no Groundhog Day, nothing like Stripes. Right, uh, right, right. Well, I knew, I had a feeling that it would be
1: largely weighted against that. I didn't know it would be so weighted against that, but wow. Right. Fascinating. Um, Fun, fun we IMDb did it. game.
0: We killed. The entire, uh, the crazy 88s, we killed Bill.
1: Apologies in advance, not in advance at this point, apologies after the fact for if this episode had a lot of my, like, awful mouth sounds from me being sick all week. I tried to keep that away from you as much as possible, but, uh, uh, I, I pledge to be more, uh... (laughs) functional next
0: week
1: <laughs> um we've got some good episodes coming up soon though uh, ahead of us and of course you should join us on patreon at patreon.com slash this oscar buzz for even more good stuff and we'll keep the good times rolling as we head through the end of 2023
0: Alright, and that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, and on Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. And then, of course, go and subscribe to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash thishadoscarbuzz. Joe, where can our listeners find more of you? You
1: can find me in the grave marked Paula Schultz in uh, Barstow, California, but also uh, on Twitter and letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D.
0: And I am uh, enjoying a spa day (laughs) with Beatrix Kiddo over on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, and Taylor Cole for his theme music. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get those podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so put our eyeball back in our head. (laughs) and then immediately show us your five-star review that's all for this week we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and less bill